Today's Bible reading comes from uh, Joshua chapter 5, from verses 13 to Joshua chapter 6 up to verse 27. And it's found on page 172 in the church Bibles, or you can follow along behind me as well. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle and sheep and donkeys. 
Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to, Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Friends, uh, let me just pray. Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us from this passage this morning. Uh, your victory, your judgment, your salvation, all of the themes are in here, and we ask that we would be uh, drawn closer to you through it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, I saw a cartoon about a tourist once who came close, picture this, to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and lost his footing, plunged over the side, and he's clawing and scratching to save himself. After he went out of sight over the edge, just before he fell into space, he encountered a scrubby bush, which he desperately grasped with both hands. See the picture? Filled with terror, he called out to heaven, is there anyone up there? A calm, powerful voice came out of the sky. Yes, there is. He pleaded, can you help me? Can you help me? The calm voice replies, yes, I probably can. What is your problem? I fell over the cliff and I'm dangling in space, holding to a bush that is about to let go. Please help me. The voice from above said, I'll try. Do you believe? Yes, yes, I believe, said the man. Do you have faith? Yes, yes, I have strong faith. The calm voice said, well, in that case, simply let go of the bush and everything will turn out fine. There was a tense pause. Then a tourist yelled, is there anyone else up there? <laughs> At times, it is difficult to trust in God, isn't it? But trust we must. It is God who saves us. It is God who delivers us, and it is God who gives us the victory. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 24, we looked at last week, after the spy mission and a meeting with Rahab the prostitute, and having had a conversation with her, where she identified with Israel's God and wanted to join the other side, she said, the Lord has, they said, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And friends, in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, the nation miraculously crosses the Jordan River. God stops the water and they get across. They enter the promised land. In chapter 5, Joshua 5, the nation renewed its commitment to God's covenant. The men were circumcised according to God's word because circumcision had not taken place during the, the wilderness wanderings. The nation then celebrated the Passover, the memorial of God's deliverance from Egypt. 
or getting right with God, putting the right things in place. Now it was crunch time. It was time to take possession of the promised land, the land that God had promised to give them, starting with the promise to Abraham. It will start with Jericho, a walled city, but it involves a bizarre strategy, and you've just had it read to you. And we'll discover quickly that God is in charge, that he gives the victory. The first thing, God is in charge. It comes out in verses 13 to 15. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? And surprisingly, he says, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servants? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua asks, whose side is he on, us or our enemies? And the man says, neither. He comes as commander of the army of the Lord. But what's the point? The point is this. It is that this is God's battle, God's war, God's land. It is never a question whether God is on our side, but whether we are on God's side. You say, it's the wrong question. God doesn't join us in our plans. We join him in his plans. God is going to do his thing, and he has allowed Israel to join his side. And Joshua was to be subservient to the commander of the army of the Lord. He understood it when he realized he fell face down to the ground in reverence. Takes off his sandals. The place where he's standing is holy. It is holy because it's the place where God meets with his chosen leader in a special way. Friends, as we apply that to us, that principle, Christ is our commander... He gives directions and orders. He's in charge, and we are to join his side. He doesn't join our side, we join his side. We are to listen to him, be guided by him through his revealed word. And the more we know his word, the more we hear his voice. Trust him no matter what happens. And I want you to think through this idea that God is working. We just need to trust him, be available to be used by him. Happens all the time, doesn't it? I, I remember a few years ago, I was at Westville Miranda, and I was stopped by an African woman raising funds for a conservation group. And uh, when I met, I stopped, because I'm always trying to be polite, but then they keep you going for hours. <laughs> Anyone stop like me all the time, always have a conversation? Uh, sometimes I just look the other way and avoid anyone who's trying to sell me anything. Um, but this time I stopped. <coughs> and I, she said, what's your name? And I said, my name is Angelo. She asked where I was from. I said, Australia. <laughs> oh, it sounds Spanish, she said. Oh, Greek, in fact, I said. And what about you? Where are you from? She said, I'm from Ghana. I said, how long have you been in Australia? Said, I've been here for five years. I said, where do you live? I live in Penrith. It's a long way from Miranda. And she asked me, what do you do for work? Well, I'm a Baptist pastor. She said, wow, can you tell me what the difference is between a Catholic and a Baptist? That's not a question I expected talking to a woman in a conservation group, right? I said, what do you ask? So, said, well, I, I, I said, are you Catholic? He said, no, I'm not Catholic. I don't have any religion. But I visited a Catholic church for a few times, but I, I, I wasn't quite sure. I didn't really connect with that. I, but what do you guys believe? So I'm able to tell her about God's salvation through Christ by grace. Then I'm standing there in the middle of a shopping center. What was happening? 
It wasn't like I was doing God's work and he just happened to come along. God was already at work. He goes before us. We just need to be ready to tap into what he's doing and to be engaged with those people God is preparing. At the end of it, I said, why don't you try Penrith Baptist? Don't know what Penrith Baptist is like. Hopefully it's decent. But you see, God has been working Central Australia, seeing many Indigenous people come to Christ over generations. And Matt and Shannon are now coming to join God in his work. They're not starting the work, they're joining God in his work. And God will put them in touch with various people in Kalkarinji, as he did in Uendamu, where they'll have the opportunity to show God's love and God's grace. God is at work at Na- in Nawin surrounding areas. He's called us to join him. Because remember Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, God is doing his work. As he is in Joshua, he's taking the people into the promised land. That's his promise. And he says, come along, Joshua, just do what I say. People come and pick up food hampers or attend our playtime groups or our computer group, our craft group, our kids and youth ministry. God is at work. He calls us to join him in that work and celebrate every victory. Small victories, big victories. Uh, Lachlan, our youth pastor, just told us at our team meeting last week excitedly that we're going to have four people being baptised soon. Three of our young, three year eights, I think they are. And all the parents come to this service and the kids have grown up here, be baptised here in a few weeks' time in June. We celebrate the victory that God, what God has done through your prayers and your raising of your children and the prayers and the support of kids' church leaders and SRE teachers and grandparents and everyone else. We celebrate those victories. And one of our young men who's probably 18 or 19 will be baptised at the youth service the week before that. God is at work and we join him in his work. And secondly, God's strange plans, chapter 6, 1 to 5. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Right, surrounded by the Israelites. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with his king and his fighting men. I have delivered Jericho into your hands, the Lord says. March around the city once with all the armed men. Right? So get the army, army guys and march around with them. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ramp horns in front of the ark. The Ark of the Covenant is important, symbolic, remember? The Ark is symbolic of the presence of God amongst the people. Have seven priests carry the ram's horns in front of the Ark on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. And so what you have, that's the plan. And later on, he describes the uh, putting into action of the plan. It's a walled city. It's shut up. No one goes in, no one comes out. It is secure. I'm told that they've already had the harvests, and therefore they have enough food in the city to keep going for a long time. You can't just starve them out. I hear that they also have a great spring inside there. So what's God going to do? I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with his king and fighting men. But it is a strange plan. Armed men, and uh, one estimate is about the 40,000 armed men, is a reference in Joshua 4.13. Seven priests blowing ram's horns, the Ark of the Covenants, a rear guard all encircling Jericho each day 
and seven times on, on the seventh day. I wonder what the people in Jericho are thinking. Rahab has told us that everyone is melting in fear because of the Israelites. I guess they're locked in going, we're worried about these people. We've heard of what God did in the Exodus. We've heard about the, the other battles, as we saw last week, other victories. Maybe they're shaking in their boots, or maybe they feel secure. They've got the walled city, uh, and I think some evidence is a double-walled city. They've got food. They'll be okay for a while. But they watch the people. Imagine, I mean, they're walls. So people come to the front, and they're watching. Can you imagine? They're coming around. What are they doing? Do they have weapons? Are they doing anything? No, no, they're just walking around blowing trumpets. If they go, at the end of the day, are they going to attack us? Is someone going to do something? Nothing happens. They go home. Next day, get up in the morning, here they come, walking around. Oh no, they're smiling, waving at them. <laughs> they're coming soon. <laughs> another day, another day, another day. I don't know what I would be thinking if I was in Jericho. Did it seem like a foolish plan? And think the Israelites had lost it? We do know they were melting in fear because of them. And friends, did you notice that just at the, as at the crossing of the Jordan River, it is the Ark of the Covenant, covenant that holds center stage. It refers to the Ark ten times, nine of which are in verses 6 to 15. It's Yahweh's presence in the midst of the people, that will make all the difference. They're not allowed to shout until the given signal. And the section stresses how central Yahweh's presence is and how passive God's people are. And friends, sometimes we uh, have the tendency to obscure God's glory by drawing attention to ourselves. What a fine musician, a great preacher, an ex extraordinary evangelist. Dale Ralph David writes in his commentary, God's normal pattern is to work through his people. But since we have this tendency to obscure God's splendor and to steal his praise, he sometimes sets our contributions aside so that we and others can perceive that the overwhelming power comes from God and not from us. How true it is here in Joshua. Who gets the glory through your life and ministry? Do you talk up your gifts and talents? Or do you glorify God? Do you talk up yourself? Or do you lift up Jesus? Everything we have is a gift of God. Glorify him. Friends, on Friday, uh, I was able to visit Brian Booth at, uh, at 6 p.m. I'd just been to a funeral for Joan Staples with Millard Sleeman. We were able to get along down in Cronulla. And then we came back and I dropped him off. And I, I was going to try and visit the next day. And there's some restrictions there at the moment because of covid and I just thought, no, tonight's the night. I've got to get in there tonight. So I arranged, I was sitting there with Judy 6 till 7. And I uh, prayed for him. And there's a little reaction in his body because he was pretty much asleep. A couple of hours later, he went to glory. And people um, will say all the right things. Uh, he's in the media, right? Former Australian Test captain, cricket captain. Former Olympian in hockey. Gentle, gracious. Uh, loving, God-centered uh, man. Influence on so many people. But in his humble way, he would always say, why wouldn't you want to tell people about Jesus? He's such a wonderful Lord and Savior. He's the center of everything. Getting close to his death over the last few months and uh, 
been aware of his illness for about five years now, that I've been ministering to the family, and so has Dave and others. But this, you meet with him, and even though he's unwell, he's, he's asking about you and telling you how much they appreciate the services and the live stream, at like others who can't get here. Oh, we just can't wait to turn on the television and the live stream and, and worship Christ and hear the word of God and be centered on Jesus. Because you know what Brian wants? Was Jesus lifted up. He met with me a, um, a few years ago and I said, Ange, this is what's going to happen on my funeral. And we're going to do this, this and this. These guys are going to lead it and then you're going to preach the gospel. He was my lecturer at Sydney Teachers College in PE. That was our, our general subject, not, not the maths area. And I love those classes, PE, for two hours. He was such a loving, gracious, godly man. He came to our Christian group, shared testimony, supported us, and he's done that with many people. But he said, I want Jesus lifted up because he is a great saviour. Seemed like a foolish gospel plan, didn't it? But have you ever thought, not only how God works in Joshua, but how he's worked through Christ our saviour. I had a student once who asked me about what I believed as a Christian why I ran the ICF group in a high school. And um, I was just stunned by his response. And I said, yeah, no, I believe that you know, God loves us and he came to this earth and his son Jesus, he came from heaven to earth and became man, born of a teenager, a virgin, born in a stable, he was a preacher and a teacher. They arrested him, tried him, put him to death. But really he died in our place for our sins and our failures. And then... Uh, they put him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He went back to heaven. And this kid just looked at me like I was out from outer space. He said, that's a strange story. Where'd you make that one up from? It was like, who makes up a story like that? The foolish gospel plan. To eyes that have not yet been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1 says... Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. A crucified Messiah, absolutely crazy. Our salvation has nothing to do with our works, he says, it's all God, all through his work. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I've shared that gospel with others, and I said, no, that's too easy. God wouldn't just let you into heaven just simply by repenting and believing. You've got to do something. It's just too easy. Some people feel like they have to contribute to their salvation. Christ's work is not enough. Well, tell that to the thief on the cross, will you? Today you'll be with me in paradise, said Jesus. Friends, we get no credit for our salvation. It's all God. It's all his work. And the people of God crossed the Jordan River because of God's commitment to his promise. They'll defeat Jericho because of God's commitment to his promise. The promise to Abraham to give them a land on their own. And the sign of true obedience, sorry, true worship is obedience. Sometimes we tend to argue with God, God, I'm not going to obey you, I don't want to go that way, I want to make up the rules. But Joshua didn't play religious games. He worshipped sincerely. He believed God and acted on God's instructions. So in verse 20, 
when I fulfilled God's plan, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Friends, God calls us to obedience. Christ commands us to go into the whole world and share our faith with others. We cannot argue with God. God blesses us materially and urges us to give generously and sacrificially to support gospel ministry with a cheerful heart. We don't argue with him, we submit to him. He tells us to be concerned for the widow, the orphan, the prisoner, the poor and the alien. We don't argue with him, we do what we can to support those who are suffering to bring justice and mercy. He tells us that our sexual relationships are to be reserved for heterosexual marriage. No premarital or extramarital sexual intercourse is appropriate for the believer. But some theologians and lay people try to change God's word, to reinterpret God's word, because they're not happy with God's word. Now we listen to God's word. In Joshua 6, we have a fine picture of what happens when God's people finally get it right. The trumpet sounded, trumpet sounded, the people shouted, the walls of Jericho fell down, and God gave them the victory. 1,400 years, friends, after this event, another man by the same name, same name as Joshua, trusted and obeyed God. His name was Jesus. Jesus is Greek for Joshua. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded with his father. You remember the words? My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? In his agony, about to go to the cross. He knows there's only one way of salvation. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He trusted and obeyed his father and secured salvation for all of us. But we also see in this passage in Joshua God's judgment and God's salvation, verses 20 to 27. Firstly, we come to some really difficult verses. Chapter 6, verse 21 and 24. I don't know how you respond to these. I don't want to see a movie of these verses. It's too graphic. It's too terrible. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. Verse 24, then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Doesn't sound loving, merciful, gracious. If you want to see what questions the non-Christians are asking, they go to these texts. What type of God is this? We destroy young and old and completely wipe them out. You see, God's judgment has come upon a whole city. Why has it come upon the whole city? And why is it that sometimes God comes in immediate human judgment, as he does at other times as well? 
In Genesis 15, verse 16, Yahweh explained to Abraham that his descendants would not inherit Canaan immediately, or in Genesis here, but would come back in the fourth generation, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God looks at the people, they are sinful. They're going to become even more and more sinful. God is holding back his judgment. God is patient, but one day he will come in that final judgment. When their sins had reached the limit, God says the place where holiness brings judgments. This view is confirmed in the rest of the Pentateuch. Yahweh cast out the residents of Canaan because of their gross sexual perversions. You can see that in Leviticus 18. And their zeal for magic, divination, and all such pagan practices in Deuteronomy 18 verse 12. There's an explanation of why God is doing this. And Israel must not assume a holier than thou attitude, for Yahweh will not bring his people into the land because they are righteous and deserving. Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going in to take possession of their land but on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your father, fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Friends, the conquest is not a bunch of land-hungry marauders wiping out at the behest of their vicious God hundreds of innocent people. These are a people who have reveled in their sin and their iniquity, including child sacrifice. And in the Old Testament view, the conquest is not gross injustice, but the highest and most patient justice. And friends, we remember that there is a judgment to come as Christians. And that final judgment, hell will be far worse than what they've experienced. And we preach the good news of Jesus and the hope of eternal life, but the rejection of Christ will lead to everlasting damnation. But we also see in the same story God's mercy and salvation. In between the two notices, they went and destroyed the city, they burnt the city, they grabbed a group of people and brought them out and saved them. This is Rahab and her family because of a promise made in chapter 2. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought her out, out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her. For she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And as we mentioned last week, she became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're saved. There's the threat of judgment coming, and she chooses to identify with Israel's God. She chooses to repent and says, no, I won't stay as an enemy. I won't stay as a sinner. I will now believe in Israel's God and find salvation. Friends, for us, justice and mercy meet at the cross, don't they? At three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, verse 46. God's justice, our sin is punished in Jesus. God's mercy, we can be forgiven and have eternal life. Separated from his Father, facing the judgment for us. Friends, God will punish sin. It's either on the cross or in hell for eternity. And we have a choice to make. The cross, as someone has said, is where two timber beams meet together. The beam of justice and the beam of mercy. The cross also speaks of things to come. The judgment coming. Be warned. Turn and believe is the word. The cross is God's amnesty, God's way of liberation, God's way of forgiveness, God's way of being right with him. Christ will return with a sword in his hand, as someone said, and he will use it. It will be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a holy God on that final day, unrepentant. I remember it just, a, it's not in my notes, I remember something John Chapman used to say, talking about judgment day. Turn up to judgment and many people think, oh, it'll be okay, we'll die, we'll just go to be with God, it'll be a better place. And so often God will say, what are you doing here, unforgiven? God wasn't sure you were real or true. God said, why do you think I sent my own son to earth if it didn't matter? It wasn't real. Why would I let my son die on a cross, a gruesome death? Why would I let him be beaten black and blue and bloodied all over if it didn't matter? I say to people, don't turn up to heaven unforgiven. Let me conclude. The big picture is that God is in control. He's fulfilling his promises. God uses what is seemingly foolish to us to bring glory to him. The ultimate foolishness is the cross of Jesus. The cross is where justice and mercy meet, where we find salvation. And if your circumstances are hard, trust and obey him. Testify to him. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. Amen. Let me pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you. We thank you even for a sobering message like this message in Joshua. That in the midst of judgment and justice and holiness, you offer forgiveness and grace and mercy to all who will turn back to you. I do pray, Lord God, that each of us who are gathered here this morning or watching on live stream will have made peace with you, received your forgiveness, received the foolish plan of God to save the world, that we will be prepared for eternity, that we would be prepared for when we stop, to breathe, stop breathing and we have our final breath on earth. Lord, and I pray that we have had faith and courage to gently graciously share this gospel with others that they too might find life in Jesus. Christ, we join you as you seek to build your church. We are thankful that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.